0: Hi there, I'm Robert Hurst and I welcome you to this podcast of Safe Zone, your one place for sane and practical discussion about keeping your place of worship safer. In the Safe Zone, we integrate common sense ideas and concepts from various disciplines for tips that help create greater safety and security. Safe Zone isn't just about you, it's about everyone you love and care for where you worship. Let's get into this episode of Safe Zone. Hello, and it's good to have you back to Safe Zone. I hope this episode finds you safe and, more importantly, these days, healthy. Tell you what we're going to do this time. I'm going to get on a little bit of a run of something that's really, really bugging me right now, and it has to do with the pandemic, this COVID-19 pandemic. Now, we've all suffered through this for months and months and months, etc., and I've heard everything from... Um, gosh, we need to all buckle down and get into a bunker and wait till it passes right up to those that say, there's nothing to this, what are we worrying about? And you want to know something, the truth lies somewhere in the middle of that. So we're going to pause from what we've been doing as far as other safety-related things, and we're going to talk about the safety of what the three things that your church needs to do to prepare for the next wave that is coming, or may eminently be upon us. Now, before you go wave, oh my gosh, quit panicking. Stop. Stop. This is part of the frustration I have. Um, and, and let's talk just a second. Let me give you context of this. First of all is about the history of pandemics itself. Now, it means nothing to you, but way back in January of this year, I had some surgery on a shoulder that made me have to sit very still for about six or eight weeks. And those of you who may know me or know about me, that was tough. But what it was good for was I got to do a lot of reading and a lot of catching up on things. And so one night when I was having trouble sleeping, sitting up in the chair there with my shoulder propped up, I took my iPad and I went back and I methodically studied every recorded pandemic in history from the 1100s all the way up to the present pandemic that we're going through at the present time. And I found several common characteristics. Now, let me just say that I'm about to oversimplify a lot of things, but I don't have a lot of time. And yes, I love to talk about this because I've dug into this right down to the medical details, reading the research papers, reading outside the common medical things into things like astrophysicists who actually had a hand in predicting some of the things. So with that said, just take my word for it. I've done my due diligence here, and I'm going to tell you a couple of things. First of all, pandemics are bad, very bad. But number two is when they are new, it is hard to pinpoint the cause. If I have something I'm frustrated with, it is at the very beginning, the authorities should have stood up and kept standing up and saying, gang, we call this novel because it's new. Therefore, because it's new, we don't have all of the information we need to know exactly what to do. So, Our immediate response that we tell you to be may not be the final response, and we may modify as the information changes as we get more. So just understand that when you have a pandemic, a new one for the first time, authorities don't know what to expect or what's going on. They're trying to learn, too. The good part in today's pandemic world is that we have medical facilities that are so much further advanced than those of the past. Second characteristic, other than being something new that creates an issue, is every pandemic that I studied from the 1100s forward had at least two and sometimes multiple what people are referring to as waves or outbreaks. And most of these were exacerbated during the winter by the cold weather, which would drive people indoors, where they're going to be around each other, where they're going to pass germs more quickly because their hygiene may not be as as good as it should have been. And, of course, hygiene was the third thing. The vast changes in hygiene uh, from the 1100s to now are huge, except for those people who just refuse to wash their hands. And I don't get that one. So based on this historical fact... We know that another wave of outbreak is probably, not definitely, but probably coming. So folks, churches need to be getting ready now. Yes, we were all caught off guard the first time. That's our mulligan. That's our do-over. We didn't expect it. It was new. We didn't know what to expect. But I'm going to tell you what, if we get caught off guard the second time, shame on you. This one's on you. So let's don't. Let's get ready. And there's three very simple things we can do now. And one of them, you're going to go, really? And that's number one, and that is to sit down as a team. Now, that team may be the leaders of the church. It may be the security and safety team. It may be physicians within your church. It may be healthcare professionals. It certainly needs to be the staff. Don't make it too big, but sit down with a group of people and have what we call in the disaster and crisis world – an after-action review. That's where you look back at the last nine months for what you have learned and you record those lessons. You capture not only the lessons that you learned that things did not go right, but you capture the victories. Maybe you were able to keep um, spread down within your church. In other words, people didn't get it as much for a period of time. What was common during that time that maybe you helped to participate in. How did you do it? What did you do? And you write down both the lessons learned the hard way as well as the victories that you found. And the victories can include things like, where did you get supplies? How quickly could you get them? Did you come up with unique ways to uh, sanitize your church between services or sanitize rooms? Or, or maybe you, uh, the lessons you learned are, here's how we can reach out and we can minister at times like this. So look for all kinds of things that you can find where you were able to learn something good. So that's number one, do an after-action review. Do it immediately while everything's still fresh on your mind. Then we go to item number two of three things you can do, and that is to make a plan for the future and make it specifically in about three different areas. First of all, remember you're going to base this on historical fact for your church right now from this point forward, not hysterical emotions or frustrations. So if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So let's don't. So number one, plan within this area of planning, plan for and prioritize supplies that you think you will need or you know you will need and go ahead and get them on order now. And what I always suggest in the disaster world is people take any recent history, base it on that plus 10%. Now, you may build that basis around the number of months you think you might need it for, um, the number of weeks, you know, maybe four to eight weeks, whatever. But don't just buy like you're buying for in perpetuity. Be reasonable. And then once you get those supplies, label them, store them, and keep an inventory record. The second area of planning is in your updating of your protocols, of what you have done, what worked well. You document them so you're ready to implement them. What if you have new people come into the church that are helping with your team or with your staff? You need to let them know what the protocols are. So get it down in writing now as part of your plan. And then number three is plan for how you will creatively minister. You probably know this pretty much by now, but you know what, I bet if you sit and talk and think about it, you're gonna think of areas where you could have done it better, where you could wanna try other things, Keep your electronic feeds up and running like your Facebook Live, maybe your broadcasting online. Keep that up and running and maybe even take this moment to update it and debrief what you learned, once again, from last winter in this particular area and then modify it to make it work better. So number one of three things you can do now is an after action review and capture those lessons learned. Number two is use those lessons to make a plan for the future in the areas of supplies and of protocols and ministry. The final thing is practice what you will do. Don't assume people will just know what's expected of them because, and we put this in air quotes, well, they've been there and they've done that. No, you need to walk through it now that you've put it together and you've created a plan and set the example in everything that you do. Now, i I want to stop and spend a few moments. I know we're running long today, but this is a special area that really, really bugs me, and it has to do with masks. People are telling me, well, I won't wear a mask because I can't. It smothers me. Tell that to the surgical team that wears them eight hours a day, and they seem to make it okay. Well, I hear, it won't stop a virus. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely wrong. Masks come in many styles and materials, but they generally work in the same way because layers of fibers capture large respiratory droplets and smaller airborne particles that are known as aerosols that can carry this coronavirus. This process is known as filtration, and a material's ability to trap particles is then called filtration efficiency. Let me oversimplify why you need to wear a mask very quickly. Take a water gun. Now, not one of those soaker blasters, but take a water gun that you can shoot, and it's going to travel at least six feet, maybe eight feet, and you can pull the trigger, and somebody standing six feet from you, you can get them good and wet with one pull of the trigger. That's the equivalent of you coughing, sneezing, or whatever. The respiratory droplets that are going to come out of your mouth, in your breath, they've caught this, I mean, you can find this everywhere online. They've caught it with high speed cameras. They've caught it with special lighting, etc. The fact is that's going to happen. So here's what you do then. You hold a towel in front of that water gun before you pull the trigger again. See how much of the droplets actually go through and would get on the other person. Well, still some would and could, right? Depends on how porous that towel is. That's the equivalent of you wearing a mask over your face. Now, ask that person to hold another towel in front of them and shoot them with that water gun again through both your towel, and it has to travel through their towel before they get any droplets of water on them. The chances are virtually none that they're going to get some. They might, maybe if they really are good at feeling, feel it a little bit. That's what cotton masks do. Uh, They markedly decrease the probability of a virus making it through. And tightly woven cotton outperforms most fabrics, but a non-woven material like that of an N95 respirator, and remember, N95 means it is 95% efficient at filtering out particles. And that's because the fibers of an N95 are made of a synthetic material, they vary in size, and then they're arranged randomly as it's put together. They also have an extra feature, and it's an electrostatic charge that attracts and captures particles of all size. Now remember something, the COVID-19 virus itself is indeed smaller, by the way, around one micron in size, than an N95 filter size, but the virus always travels attached to larger particles, remember that sneeze, that cough, that are consistently snared by the filter. And even if the particles are smaller than the N95 filter size, if you want to, by the way, what I'm about to say, i will be glad to show you all the research and studies. There there are several high-level institutes that have studied it, and it gets down to the erratic motion of particles that size and the electrostatic attraction generated by the mask means they would be consistently caught as well. So the N95 mask not only is blocking particles, it's using electrostatic absorption, meaning the particles are drawn to the fiber and trapped instead of passing through. There's an aerosol expert at Virginia Tech, Lindsay Marr, who said it's become clear that cloth masks, even though they're not as effective as the N95s, are still effective at reducing transmission. So even if you're not achieving that 95% reduction, something is better than nothing, end of quote. Now, take good ventilation, good mask, and distancing further reduces the risk, et cetera, of transmission. And if everyone's wearing one and keeps their distance, the collective benefit goes up. Now, let me tell you why this is important. I have a friend recently who told me about how a parent of hers who has the one parent is at home who is, uh, has multiple factors that could be a strong issue if they if they contracted COVID. The other parent, in other words, the, the, the spouse, has now quit going to church because their nice little cozy country church, everyone refuses to wear a mask because of all of these various excuses we've had. So not only are the people at the church risking giving the virus to others and becoming spreaders, but now they've knocked out a point of ministry simply because of their intransigence in doing what is so simple to do. I'm sorry if I sound like I'm on a rant, but I'm tired of this. We are to set the example. And in this case for a mask, really come on folks, let's get it together. We can do this. We can, we can be safe where we are safe to worship. And that means safe in our health. So, Get ready for the next wave that may or may not come, but based on history, it will. That's not something that I'm prophesying. I'm just saying the facts are there. Go back and begin to study them, and you will see that uh, there were two to three and sometimes four waves. We've had one. uh, Probably we'll see a number two, if not a number three. And then we begin to go into other uh, medical issues about where it transfers from being pandemic to being endemic within the, the uh, culture. But that's a whole nother story another day. So with that said, I hope that you will go in and you will begin to plan now by doing an after-action review, make a plan, and then practice what you're going to do. And let's have a great winter, a safe winter of ministry. God bless. Have a great day. That wraps it up for this episode of Safe Zone. Take what you've learned and help bring a newfound peace of mind to those you worship with by making it a safer place to worship. Now, to help us, if you would, I do ask that you go to iTunes or whatever podcast service you use and leave us a favorable rating. That helps us in this very crowded, just general podcast marketplace. And while you're there, be certain to take a moment and hit the subscribe button so you won't miss a single new episode that's released. Finally, forward this podcast to your friends, and associates that are in your sphere of influence on a daily basis. Hey, after all, we're all in this together, so let's learn together and grow together. Until next time, have a great day, have a safe week, and wherever you worship, let's make it a safe place to worship. God bless and goodbye.